Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. Faster my crazy day, my packed commute, all those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. <laughs> Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. Hi, and welcome to our podcast, The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with the bipartisan firm Purple Strategies. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with the firm Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the latest polls driving the news in politics, tech, entertainment, and pop culture. So a few weeks ago in Austin, Texas, the American Association of Public Opinion Researchers held their big annual conference where pollsters, academics, Market research professionals all descended upon this conference uh, to swap stories, uh, to learn the best in uh, new best practices, to talk about the research they'd been doing, and to figure out where the future of the industry is headed. The biggest debate happening right now in the polling world is how do we look at things like online research or other types of survey research that are a little non-traditional and figure out can we use this? Is this an accurate way to gauge public opinion? The big debate is therefore between probability and non-probability research. Uh, so probability research uh, or probability-based sampling is what you probably already think of as polling. Um, it's going and getting a random sample of people from a particular population. So if I know that I want to do a survey of a 1,000 adults in America, I do a survey where I know that I'm likely to be able to talk to almost any adult in America. Uh, and everybody has a known chance of being, say, called on the phone or mailed a survey in the mail. Uh, so when you think of a simple random sample, that's how most research has been done uh, since the sort of advent of modern opinion polling. But now it's really hard to do research like that. For all of the reasons that Margie and I talk about week after week, with people not answering cell phones, people not answering landline phones, uh, people not taking surveys in a normal way, the question is really, is any research perfect? Or is any research actually using a simple random sample? Now, why does it matter to use a simple random sample? Well, there's a lot of statistical properties uh, that require a simple random sample in order to hold true. A lot of research, uh, you use things like the margin of error to uh, gauge, you know, whether or not a survey result is something that seems like it might be meaningful or if it's the result of random statistical noise. And in order for a lot of that math to work, you need to be working with a simple random sample. But at APOR this year, a lot of folks presented on research uh, that shows how you can take 
a non-probability sample, a sample that is not just a simple random sample. And through really sophisticated techniques, uh, you know, multivariate regression, um, all sorts of things that you can do on the back end to help take what may be an imperfect sample and make it a little more perfect. Now, this is a really hot debate. Uh, there's a lot of conflict about this, with some folks saying that good gold standard research always needs to rely on simple random samples, that all of this other stuff is a bunch of nonsense that uh, really is, has no chance of ever actually being good. Um, but on the other hand, you have folks, including David Rothschild, who I had the chance to interview and whose interview um, we'll get to here in just a second. Um, I chatted with him uh, in a hallway outside of a uh, one of our APOR sessions and asked him about some of the research that he's been doing. He works for Microsoft Research and has done projects on everything from how do you use prediction markets to understand where things might be headed? To how can you use something like the Xbox to do large-scale polling that is certainly not probability-based, um, but use sophisticated weighting techniques and post-stratification uh, to understand public opinion better? So I apologize to our listeners who are maybe not methodologists or statisticians. I promise I, I want to keep this episode interesting uh, and, and at a level that I think everyone can understand. And hopefully you'll find my chat with David Rothschild to be interesting and a good explanation of the new ways that folks are approaching public opinion research and how I think we can take some of these new approaches to get a better understanding of what voters are thinking and consumers are thinking in a world when surveying them in the traditional ways is harder than ever. Well, hi, David. Thank you so much for joining me. It's my pleasure. Uh, so my first interview from uh, APOR here in Austin is with David Rothschild. He's uh, with Microsoft Research, and I've been familiar with his work for a while now because back during the 2012 election, uh, you did a study where you uh, surveyed voters using the Xbox. Tell me a little bit about that. We wanted to examine whether or not we could take what we consider kind of the gold standard of opt-in polling, the banner ad and actually make some use out of it. And do this for two reasons. Number one, because I'm worried about the future of probability polling. I'm worried about the future of telephone polling, so both on the mode and on the sample method, we need to worry about whether or not they, they work. And on the other hand, it's enticing. Uh, you look at banner ads, and essentially you see something that is really cheap, really fast, um, and possibly extremely flexible because your, your graphical interface is online. And if we can make this work, this would be pretty awesome. And so what we did was is we put essentially a banner ad up in the Xbox, which is a gaming system. We had 350,000 people who answered at least once, uh, 750,000 polls, three to five questions long. But the key was they had to answer a battery of demographic questions on that first time in. And we were able to then take that data and each day run a model with post-stratification, uh, Mr. P, affectionately, multi-level regression with post-stratification, and show that you move something that looks a lot like the Literary Digest fiasco. Very Republican, <laughs> uh, very volatile, and on a daily basis get something that actually looks a lot like the end answer. Doesn't work for every question, doesn't work in every location, but it certainly is encouraging towards the idea of if you use the right analytics, you can take even some of the most opt-in online data and make some use from it. So today you were presenting uh, at a session that I was at earlier in the morning about non-probability samples. Uh, tell me a little bit about some of the work that you were presenting today, where you were talking about uh, other, other studies you've done to figure out how this Mr. P can be used uh, to make sort of rough, raw data into something that is valuable. 
We've been spending a lot more time over the last three years in exploring a lot of different online opt-in samples along with uh, probability samples online along with probability RDD. Better understanding number one, mode differences, and number two, data quality differences. It's a continuum. So you can have the cheapest, crappiest data and you can have the most expensive, amazing data. And this is gonna run the gamut from extremely biased, extremely volatile, but cheap to extremely accurate, extremely useful, but really expensive. And that's just the data collection. And then you gotta pair it with the right analytics. And this is something I don't think we appreciated enough before. It's a moving target. Uh, whereas RDD went with raking and that's what people did. Uh, now we're gonna be looking at a continuum of different data collections with a continuum of different data analytics techniques to make things work. And what we're seeing is not a one size fits all and there's a lot of experimentation to understand what really is going to work and what's gonna be applicable for plug and chug for those people who aren't like me thinking about experimentation, but really want to just do this on a regular basis. Now, there are some people that are, I guess, maybe a little more old school, and I say that affectionately, but they're still hesitant to let go of the, the sort of gold standard, old school probability sample where you're calling people on the phones. And, you know, what, what would you say to folks that are still uh, really attached to the probability sampling? You know, you talked today about the central limit theorem is just a theorem that what, what you're talking about is empirically workable. Um, while probability-based sampling and central limit theory, I mean, it's all nice in theory, but in practice it doesn't work out like that. Yeah, so the central limit theorem is beautiful, and, and everything involving probability sampling is something to strive for. I think it's a great thing, and when we need baselines and we need to understand something, it is really good when you have the resource strive for as close to probability as you can. We're never going to get probability. Uh, Sorry, if you're doing a small target population, which is known, but if you're talking about the general population, if you're talking about voters, if you're talking about anything that we care about more on a regular basis for market intelligence, you know, general shoppers, you are not getting a probability sample. You are trying to approach a probability sample. And with that, what you're looking at is empirically, you already have coverage or, or frame error. You already have non-response error. You have measurement error, you have specification error. Translation, you're not getting everyone, not everyone's responding, you may be asking the wrong question, and you may be asking it the wrong way. And so that's gonna add a lot on top of sample error as it is. This other opt-in stuff, it's just worse. And so you have to say, how much are you willing to tolerate? And how much we're willing to tolerate really depends on the use case. The census is willing to tolerate very little because we're taking that, we're multiplying it times a billion dollars and handing it out yeah. to the general population. When it comes to being the person at a company that's deciding whether or not to buy this onesie or that onesie, I think the error rate should be a little higher and maybe you can ask a lot more questions uh, and do it with a little less precision. Now the other thing that uh, you've written about is prediction markets and to what extent they are a good way to uh, predict how an election might turn out. Um, tell me a little bit about your work on prediction markets. So my training is in economics, and my work actually started from understanding how markets work, and I was very interested in prediction markets, which are all around the world, people buying and selling futures contracts that are worth $1 if they happen, $0 if they don't happen. There's a contract out there right now that is going to be worth, what is worth, about 65 or 70 cents right now uh, for Hillary Clinton to be the next president of the United States. Uh, it will be worth either a dollar or nothing come mid-November. And the idea is that these contracts trade very closely to the collective wisdom 
probability of victory. And you can translate this data and use it to a lot of different things. But what should really interest your crowd is that it's really taught me a lot about political science. It's taught me a lot about what's going on in the world of entertainment and sports as well because you get this high granularity data about outcomes we care about. It's also taught me a lot about polling design, actually, because I'm coming at it from a very different perspective than most people. I came at it and I was taught, let's take this really, really small group of opt-in biased users, let's ask them a really complicated question. What's the subjective probability of an event occurring? Let's incentivize them. And let's figure out a complicated aggregation method that involves how much money you're willing to wager. And then I started looking at polling and say, man, this is crazy. Why the obsession with representative samples? What can we do from people who opt in? Why the obsession with these simple, transparent questions that worked really well face-to-face, -face, translated over nice to the phone, but now we've got graphical interfaces. We've got people with computers in their pockets. We can do something more engaging. Why not incentives? Why haven't we explored incentives enough in thinking about how, as we move into an opt-in world, incentives are going to be more and more important because people are opting in, there's an incentive going around. And then the most important thing is I have a stats training. And I look and I say, there's a lot of data on the table, right? There's a lot of stuff we know about these respondents and the people who don't respond. And why should we be limiting the report that we give to a client based simply on what these 1,000 people said Rather than thinking about all the other data that's flying around that, it just seems to me as a, someone who has trading in stats, someone who's thinking about things in the way that I learned it, it seems crazy not to utilize that and use more complicated models to analyze this, uh, this data regardless of the, the, uh, whether or not it's probability polling or non-probability polling. Are you finding that there's been a sort of a good reaction now or an increased comfort with non-probability polling or are there still a lot of holdouts? It depends where you are and what you're doing. Um, so it was nice. We had a standing room only today. We at, did. <laughs> at, our, at, the, at the session this morning, and so that was a nice. Um, but obviously, I follow the A4 listserv, and you can see those people who are fighting very strongly to maintain probability polling and those people who are looking towards the future. What I think that kind of two things I'd add to it are is that number one is that there, most of what survey research does is a 20 plus billion dollar a year industry has absolutely no ground truth. We will never know the true probability that Donald Trump is going to be the GOP nominee on July 1st, 2015, as much as we'll never know the true brand awareness for brand XYZ or how many people would buy this green colored cardigan if it was readily, readily available to the general population. And as such, they rely, the consumer and the person who's selling the market intelligence, on this idea of probability polling because it gives people faith that there's some sort of grounding. But we see these errors bounding up. We see these response rates dropping low, and we see the lure of this cheaper, faster data. And so it's going to be impossible to stop this, this tide. It's going to be impossible to hold people back. And what I tell people who are in the probability polling thing is, stop fighting this rear guard action because it's, you're going to lose. And it's a classic innovator's dilemma. You want to keep charging $20, $25 a head for you know, a, a, a poll, that's great. But at some point, you're going to be out of business unless you move forward. Um, and the idea is that uh, basically, you guys are still going to have a job because it's still hard writing questions. It's still hard analyzing data. You ever see questions that people write by themselves? It's junk, right? Sign up for a bunch of panels. Start following through. And what you see is that you read these things as a consumer. You're like, there's no way you're going to get intelligence out of this.
It's just because the questions aren't written to, to give you anything meaningful. And so there's still a business for professionals in the polling industry uh, as we move past uh, probability into the great world of non-probability polling. And I think people need to accept it and they need to move forward to it. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to chat with me today. It's my pleasure. When we listen to the radio, we never agree on the station. Classic rock. Hip-hop. Pop. Guys, quiet. The one thing we do agree on, we all want an awesome free phone. That's why we switched to MetroPCS. Stop by MetroPCS with the whole family and get four free phones of your choice from brands you love, like Samsung, Motorola, and LG when you switch. MetroPCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Free phone requires port. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions.